Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Fridays on the show are like home cooking. You know what's coming and you can't wait to dig in. It's the Friday News Roundup. Calling it the last straw, the Fraternal Order of Police Board of Directors issued a no-confidence vote against Superintendent Eddie Johnson today. Teachers in Chicago are striking for a seventh school day. It's become apparent that the Chicago Teachers Union strike of 2019 is entering a new phase. Leaders of the Chicago Teachers Union emerged from bargaining last night to say they had a good day yesterday and progress was made. They gave few details, saying the two sides were working through issues. Joining me around the table today are John Byrne of the Tribune, WBEZ's own Claudia Morrell, and Heather Sharon, managing editor of The Daily Line, who starts things off with an update on the teacher strike now in its seventh school day. We heard good things from both sides saying that yesterday was a good day at the table, that they had been making progress. However, um, there does not yet seem to be an agreement or a tentative agreement, at least, on the two big issues, staffing requirements and class size. And um, I've been saying all along that I wasn't going to get excited about a potential end to the strike until we start hearing definite sort of here's what the city has agreed to on those two issues. Um, Mayor Lori Lightfoot was out this morning at O'Hare celebrating the start of construction of a new runway. And she said that she was hopeful that a deal could be reached to get kids back in school by Monday morning. But that if there was no deal this weekend, that it would be very difficult for this work stoppage to come to an end quickly. So I don't know to be encouraged or a little bit more concerned about where things stand after that. John, your thoughts? I mean, kids have been out of school for seven days. Mm-hmm. What's the sense of, of where the city stands on this? It's been pretty much boilerplate statements, although that statement today about if we don't figure this out today, I don't know when we're going to figure this out was a little bit ominous. But what we've been hearing from her day after day after day is the CTU isn't showing any urgency and she's she's frustrated. She says that they've got this unwieldy bargaining unit that hasn't responded. A 40-member team, I think 40-member team. They disappear into their room for hours. We don't hear back from them. They need to be more nimble. They need to be more responsive. They need to show more urgency. Well, I think this is one of the interesting things about the negotiations is that from the public view, there's not a lot of insight into what is happening inside that room. You right. just come have both sides come out and say they're not, you know, playing ball and the other side they're not playing ball. And, you know, Heather, when we, we think about the parents and the kids and like how are we supposed to understand what's actually happening in that room? It, it's almost impossible, I imagine, for your average parent to sort of know sort of when this is going to end and what sort of contingency plans they need to make. And as a reporter, it's frustrating, too, um, at the Daily Line to toot our own horns. We try to focus on policy. And it's really hard to write about policy when nobody's telling you what the policy being discussed (laughs) is. It is super frustrating. But that's, you know, the nature of, of negotiations. Nobody wants to do it in public because you can't really make this kind of sausage in the open. Uh, But it does make it difficult for parents to understand sort of what's at issue. And these are crucial issues. You know, I'm a parent. I want to know how many kids are in my my kid's class. You know, I want to know, are they going to be able to go to the nurse if they get sick? You know, it's really sort of fundamental issues. And yet there is this sort of uh, public grenade lobbying going on. We had the mayor come out with this letter the other day, public letter saying, let's continue these negotiations with the kids back in school. And then the CTU was 
just uh, irate about the letter yes, coming out. And saying that she had no idea how labor negotiations work, that, you know, the strike, the whole point of the strike is to encourage the mayor to, to cave in on their demands. Well, and Claudia, I wonder what we're seeing in City Hall, because there have been aldermen who've come out and join teachers um, on the strike line. Yeah, uh, especially a lot of the uh, freshman aldermen and um, the ones that are self-described uh, democratic socialists. So we saw um, after the budget speech on Wednesday, a whole bunch of aldermen went to across the street to the Thompson Center and held like their own counter-budget speech and rally. Uh, and I saw Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who gave a pretty passionate speech, Daniel Espada of the First Ward, Byron Sigcho Lopez of the 25th and Pilsen. And a lot of their messaging is really focused on if we can give uh, police and the police department this much money, why can't we give schools what they need? And so it'll be interesting to see as budget uh, hearings come up to see that, you know, um, give and take of like, well, if this department gets this, then why can't schools get this? Well, Mayor Lightfoot was on the program yesterday talking about the teacher strike in the city budget. And she says the city can't afford to give any more money to meet union demands and that the school district needs to live within its means. Let's take a listen. I've said CPS, and they understand, has to live within its means. And the CTU has a uh, overall proposal that would cost $2.4 billion, and that's billion with a B. We can't even talk about uh, anything that looks like those numbers because the money's just simply not there for that. And Heather, I want you to put this within this larger framework because the mayor gave her budget address. We're trying to close this $838 million budget gap. That's a separate budget from the school's budget. But CPS, while it's on firmer financial footing now, is still carrying an enormous amount of debt. And so, you know, it's it's this puzzle <laughs> that it sounds like uh, the city's trying to put together, but maybe all the pieces just aren't on the table. Janice Jackson, the CPS CEO, took to the pages of the Sun-Times this morning to basically sort of outline what has been going on from her perspective. And then she did a tweet thread and she likened the way the district is operating as to a family that's still putting groceries on their credit card every month and that they're not paying that off every month. And I think that is probably a good description of of where the school district is. It's certainly on firmer financial footing, but firmer than on the brink of bankruptcy is not a great place to be for any public agency. The question is, will the city give more money than it's already set to give to CPS? And the mayor announced this week as part of her budget that that the school district would get about $163 million from the city's tax increment financing district. And I know Claudia and I were eagle eye focused (laughs) on that because that was how Rahm Emanuel settled the 2016 teacher's contract. He essentially sort of gave them just a boatload of money and everybody was like, all right, okay. Now, Mayor Lightfoot says that's not going to happen, that that amount of money is what's needed to cover the offer on the table now. So there's no easy solution sort of lurking in the city's budget because the city's budget presented by Mayor Lightfoot is balanced, but I hope you can hear the air quotes that I use Mm -hmm. because it relies on a $50 million increase in the real estate transfer tax that has to be approved by Springfield. And I don't think any three of us would sort of put money on that sailing through during the veto session in the next couple of weeks. And we should also note that SEIU Local 73 is also on strike. That's the union representing school support staff. And John, it was interesting when, when Mayor Lightfoot was on the show She said there were no negotiations really happening with SEIU at this point because they said, you know, until things are settled with CTU, we're not coming 
to the table. What do we know about what's happening there? Well, in in 2012, SEIU settled first, and they've sort of been living down this idea that they crossed the CTU's picket line back then and went back to work. So it was it was clear from the beginning of this that SEIU was going to lay back, wait until CTU's stuff got handled and that they were everyone's going back in together. We're not going to be going in early. So for the mayor to to act like this was a shock. I don't think it's it's really shocking that that SEIU is waiting to see what CTU does first on this. Well, the Chicago teachers strike is a national story. Several high-profile names have come out to support the union, including Senator Elizabeth Warren, who joined the picket line earlier this week. I'm here to stand with Chicago teachers. I'm here to stand with Chicago nurses. I'm here to stand with Chicago's librarians. I'm here to stand with Chicago's bus drivers. I'm here Claudia, to stand you know, when you have these high-profile presidential candidates showing up at a teacher strike, does that put additional pressure on the mayor? You know, it's hard to say. I think that uh, if I was the mayor, I would find it frustrating and annoying to make a national issue out of the local school system. Uh, but I think with Lightfoot, uh, she's been pretty clear and has been holding firm on the fact that there is no more money and it doesn't matter if, you know, every Democratic presidential candidate came to rally with the teachers. I think that uh, she is not going to cave in any more than she already has. Well, her, her statement on Warren the other day was particularly hysterical. She on the one she, it was it was this incredible pivot. On the one hand, she was like, well, people are going to parachute in and do these things. And th- that's outside noise. That doesn't matter. I respect Elizabeth Warren for supporting workers, and I would expect all Democratic presidential candidates to support workers because that's who we are as a party. It was like, I'm going to this isn't important, but it's great that you're supporting workers. And well, it goes to the very difference of campaigning for office and being in office because, you know, when there were strikes, uh, the opera workers uh, were on strike around the mayoral campaign. Yeah, yeah. You know, they all went for the photo ops and were in solidarity with their demands. And so, but then when you're on the other side, when you're the one that has to deal with the contract, you realize that rhetoric isn't the same as, you know, action. Right. It also illustrates the political bind that the mayor is in because she was elected to chart a far more progressive course than Rahm Emanuel was. And now that rubber is really meeting the road and her sort of natural labor union allies are very much at odds with her. So... How long is the strike going to last? <laughs> Anybody want to lay bets, lay odds? I'm, I'm telling my son he's back in school on Tuesday. Whether the strike's over or not, I'm just <laughs> dropping him off at the door. And he can, are you listening, Oscar? Good you're, luck. You're Good back luck. in school Tuesday. <laughs> you're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset. Our panel today includes WBEZ City Hall reporter Claudia Morrell, Daily Line managing editor and City Hall reporter Heather, Heather Sharon, and John Byrne, City Hall reporter at the Chicago Tribune. Other stories we're watching today, a group of Chicago parents and high school athletes from Jones College Prep will be in court this morning. They want a Cook County judge to rule to Today that they can compete in a state cross-country competition while the teacher strike is ongoing. Student-athletes are barred from competing if a tournament begins during the strike. A Cook County Board President, Tony Prankwinkle, said she plans to ask state lawmakers for money for the county's 70,000 acres of forest preserves. That comes after she killed the idea of pitching a referendum to voters for more property tax money for the preserves. The extra funds would have paid for ambitious plans like buying and restoring more land. And the Illinois Department of Public Health is reporting a second state 
state resident has died after being hospitalized for a vaping-related lung injury. According to the department, 153 people in Illinois, ranging in age from 13 to 66 years old, have experienced lung injuries after using e-cigarettes or vaping. State and federal health officials are still investigating the causes of the illnesses. Now, turning back to city politics and and other news, on Wednesday, leaders from Chicago's Fraternal Order of Police issues a vote of no confidence in Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson. Claudia, just explain what that vote means. Well, it's pretty much symbolic in nature in the sense that uh, it won't do anything to get uh, rid of Eddie Johnson, but it comes at a very interesting time, especially just after last week when uh, Mayor Lightfoot revealed on Fran's show that uh, Eddie Johnson had been drinking when the incident happened and that uh, the officer who uh, arrived at the scene, you know, had to call it a supervisor. And the union and one of the members uh, spoke at the monthly city council meeting, said that that officer was put in a no-win position and that they've lost all confidence in Eddie Johnson. And, you know, Lightfoot still hasn't really made a determination as to whether she's going to keep him or not. She said on the campaign trail that she was going to wait until the summer was over, and summer is over, and she still has not moved on that. But the mayor has also defended Eddie Johnson. She said, quote, he has sacrificed a tremendous amount for the city. So it's interesting to sort of test the waters with where the mayor is with the superintendent right now, and it's kind of hard to wrap your arms around exactly where she stands. It it is, and I think the no-confidence vote was also complicated by Eddie Johnson's announcement that he would not attend the Illinois Chief of Police. Police Association gathering at uh, McCormick Place on Monday where President Donald Trump is scheduled to speak and that Eddie Johnson was very critical of the president's racist and racially charged statements. The FOP has been huge supporters of of the president. They endorsed him during the presidential election of 2016. And I think that that is another indication of how far the FOP is from sort of the rest of the Chicago political establishment. They're basically sort of all the way right on their own. And that makes Eddie Johnson's already very difficult job that much more difficult. Well, John, and I'm curious whether we have a sense of of how rank-and-file officers uh, feel about Eddie Johnson right now. Citywide, he's very popular. He's extremely popular among Chicagoans. We were at an event with the mayor last week on the west side that was well attended by just members of the community, and a reporter asked whether she had considered asking Eddie Johnson to resign, and the crowd sort of turned on the reporter. It was really interesting, you know, uh, demanding that Eddie Johnson be treated fairly. So you've got the mayor there. She may not be sure what she wants to do with Eddie, but she's got a very, very popular guy who she needs to look like she's not you know, kicking him to the curb at, at this point. And those rank and file officers, do we have any sense of... of- I, you know, I mean, I, I, does the FOP speak for the rank and file? I don't know. Yeah, I really, really I, I, I don't. I really don't know. I, I tend to think that the FOP is right of the rank and file, but I, I, I don't know. Well, thousands are expected to protest President Trump's visit to Chicago on Monday, including members of the Chicago Teachers Union who are being trained in civil disobedience. I think that training happened yesterday. I mean, there's a so, so much converging at the same time in Chicago right now. And I, I'm just curious really quickly, Heather, the mayor <laughs> <laughs> and how she has to balance 
all of these shifting dynamics that are happening right now. And let's not forget that she has been in office less than six months. This is the first elected office she's ever held, and she is literally being pushed in by all sides. She's got this massive budget deficit. She has an ongoing crime and violence problem. She has a, the teachers union on strike. I mean, there is literally she's go beg Springfield to right. do all this stuff. And she's, right. I mean, she's got no history of, of like working votes downstate. She's got to go downstate and try to convince them to do this thing that they probably don't want to do. I mean, when you say trial by fire, that's really what's happening. Okay, so of course the other big story this week is Mayor Lori Lightfoot delivering her first budget address to city council. That happened Wednesday. She laid out her plan to close this $838 million budget gap the city's facing. Claudia, just give us a brief overview of her plan. It involves a lot of savings and efficiencies. So included in that is uh, some refinancing old debt. Uh, another thing that she's doing is Modestly increasing the levy for the libraries uh, to 18 million so that uh, she can cover library hours on the weekends. The savings and efficiencies number and the non-tax numbers are, are the, these these huge numbers. I mean, we we were all uh, really surprised at the amount of savings she's going to get through. Yeah, the t- zero-based budgeting and things like that. Closing some positions, combining not departments. Not that many positions. Not though. that yes. many positions. It was really uh, yeah. No layoffs, no taxes. So that the the biggest chunk of the gap is being filled by that two hundred million dollar refinancing, and basically it's refinancing the city's existing debt, but taking all of those savings this year. So it's like you've refinanced your mortgage, mm-hmm. but you are adding that those savings to your current year budget, and you're going to bank that money. The other thing I think that I still have a lot of questions about is that $163 million the city expects to get from the federal government through the state to reimburse ambulance rides for indigent Chicagoans. So yes, this was something that a lot of folks were surprised to see in the budget. And we were all like, what? what is that exactly? What is it? So essentially, um, the federal government through Medicare and Medicaid will cover the cost of ambulance rides for people who qualify for those programs. The city is not being fully reimbursed for those rides. So essentially, the city is paying out of pocket for something that federal law calls for the federal government to cover. The mayor has said that they've worked out an agreement where they're going to get that money through the Illinois Department of Human Services and that it's going to flow back to the city. Now, I asked Governor Pritzker's office, hey, you know, what's this agreement? And they said that the federal government has not yet committed to reimbursing those funds to the city. Um, So I think that that is going to be a subject of intense questioning during the upcoming budget hearings that start on Monday. Well, and John, you also mentioned the mayor's zero-based budgeting. She plans to save $150 million from that. Just break that down for us a bit. Well, they, they, <laughs> Good they, know. Yeah, uh, they, they say that they uh, they go to all the department heads and say, justify your entire spending. Start at zero and justify everything you need for the next year. And that, that they found all these savings that way. But they're saying they've done a better job at this than prior administrations. But this is something that aldermen and mayors every year go through the budget line by line and say, justify this. There's too much fat in here. So it, it, it was it was a, a startling number to me that they were able to fill so much of this 838 by just doing a better job and making sure that there's less fat in the city bureaucracy. But she got up there and said, I'm not going to raise any property taxes. So this budget will pass 
40 to 10, 42 to 8 or something like that. I but, mean, but I mean, but there are some progressive aldermen who are concerned about, you know, specific issues. They don't think sure. enough money has gone to mental health services. Right. There's a question around the minimum wage increase to to $15 and the fact that tipped workers aren't included in that. So, I mean, she's still got some negotiating to do, no, right? No, She's got 26 votes now. <laughs> you she, think so? Oh, absolutely. Because she, she, like, she held a like, speech yeah. in August to say 800 and she specifically held a prime <laughs> time speech to announce to us that it was the biggest deficit in the history of the universe and how are we going to do this and so aldermen for months have been saying you're going to make me vote for a property tax you're going to make me vote for a 300 million dollar property tax increase how can you you're killing us you're killing us you're killing us and then she stood up there and said i'm going to raise 18 million dollars for to keep the libraries open everybody loves libraries other than that no property tax peace in our time but wait here's the thing (laughs) it's like they have ptsd from the four years of exactly. ROM and the, all of the taxes. I mean, every of the last four budgets included some massive tax increases yeah. from the property tax right out the gate and then the garbage fee and then the water fee and the sewer fee. And then those were incrementally added. So that means every year, even though they passed it in one year, it just kept going up. One of the best examples I can give is uh, Alderman Reboiris, who is one of the longest serving aldermen uh, on the city council now. And he was asked about, you know, the rideshare fees. And he was like, uh, what do I think of it? Well, anything but the property tax, yeah. honestly. They said that as long as the property taxes are as they are now, you know, everything else is just incremental. Yeah. Okay, but but the mayor's budget also relies on Springfield coming through. And yeah. there is no guarantee that's that that's going to happen. That's so. True. The budget address she gave this week does not include a property tax, but she's been very careful not to pull it all the way off the table. Right, it's maybe in a say, corner right now, let's but say, it's not uh, off the table. Let's yeah. say that let's say Springfield doesn't give her that. She's counting on fifty fifty million dollars mm-hmm. in twenty twenty. If she comes back and says, "We tried, Governor Pritzker wouldn't do it. We're raising property taxes by fifty million fifty million dollars." Alderman will say, "Great, we'll we'll do that. We're gonna we got we're gonna blame the governor." When our residents, we're going to blame Mike Madigan. We're going to blame yeah. Mike Madigan, and we're going to blame the governor. We have boogeymen set here, you know. And, and so, if when our residents come to us and say, "You raised my property taxes again," we're going to say, hey, "You know, fifty million, and it was the governor's fault." So, yeah. I mean, she's laid out what is a path of least resistance that the aldermen can choose to walk through. But I think you're right, Jen. I think there will be progressive aldermen who say this does not do enough to fulfill the campaign promises that you made to chart a progressive course. And that means mental health clinics being reopened. That means minimum wage increase. That means a whole host of violence prevention programs. And they're just there. That means more money for affordable housing. And there's maybe $10 million each for each of those priorities in the budget. And we will hear aldermen and say that that's simply not good enough. And they're going to say, look, we understand. We don't want to raise property taxes, but what about the corporate head tax? What about a LaSalle Street financial tax? Now, are there 26 votes for either one of those things? No, I don't think so. But that will at least be part of the discussion. And I think the big question that I have is how much independence is the city council going to want to demonstrate during these budget hearings and during this vote? Do they want to sort of flex those, hey, Rom isn't here 
prepared to send us a dead fish wrapped in newspaper, are we are we going to sort of show that we're actually legislators as opposed to yeah. just the pounder of the rubber stamp? I don't know the answer to that. I have to say, you all are really coming through with the imagery this Friday <laughs> Roundup. It's, it's pretty stunning. Some other stories we're following today. A report prepared by a former federal judge finds the Chicago Police Department's stop and frisk practices disproportionately target black people. Former U.S. Magistrate Judge Arlander Keyes found about 70 percent of all pedestrian stops are conducted on African-Americans. Police officials issued a statement saying data reviewed by the judge was from 2017. They say the department has made improvements since then. Environmental officials in Indiana say steel company ArcelorMittal didn't do enough to prevent heavy amounts of cyanide and ammonia to be discharged into a river in Portage that connects to Lake Michigan. Thousands of fish died because of the discharge and the company could face fines because of the incident. And the Federal Occupational Safety and Health Administration has proposed fining a Chicago area silicone factory $1.59 million for safety violations uncovered after an explosion at the plant that killed four workers in May. The company has 15 days to comply, request a conference, or contest the findings. Turning back to the budget, I, I want to go back to this rideshare tax. The mayor is projecting $40 million um, to, to be raised from that increase. And here she is responding to a listener question about the decision. Essentially, Uber and Lyft have had free reign in the city since this market really developed. And we've seen the consequence of that, which is the decimation of um, our taxicab industry. What we also know is that there's enormous congestion downtown, that we don't have a rush hour, that period of congestion really exists almost all day. And what we also saw based upon our data is that we had a lot of single riders coming primarily from the north side into the central business district. What we want to do is incentivize people to actually do real shared um, rides, um, but also to use other uh, forms of transportation, particularly uh, public transportation. Now, Claudia, rideshare companies like Uber and Lyft say this will give Chicago the highest ride hailing fee in the country. Your thoughts? How, how are people reacting to this? When this was announced, one of the first aldermen that I wanted to talk to was Alderman Anthony Beal, because back in 2016, when Uber and Lyft, you know, were first kind of entering the market and the city decided that it was going to regulate them, he fought tooth and nail to try and get a dollar surcharge to to rein in on them doing um, what's it called? You know where they do the where they trip, triple the charge during the high surge. yes surge. the surge, yes. and they threatened to leave Chicago. They said if you do this, we will leave, and you will lose out. And they put intense amount of pressure on City Hall. I remember that they did these ad campaigns. They were so sophisticated that they knew your location and your local alderman, and it would robocall to the ward office. So aldermen were getting hundreds of calls a day. They were completely flooding the ward offices. And it got to the point that, you know, he completely caved. They ended up even walking back the regulations even further, removing fingerprinting requirements, which was uh, one of the biggest issues. So I I thought it was interesting how Lightfoot kind of just – put it as an aside, like, oh, and this is going to go up 25 cents, thinking that, like, they weren't going to go after her. And I'm still waiting to see how the industry responds. And, you know, 
if they are worried that it could increase even more. Every lobbyist in Chicago has dollar signs in yeah. their eyes because Uber and Lyft are going to be spreading the money around yeah. like crazy to fight this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to touch on a couple of other issues quickly before we wrap up. Um, that includes this TIF surplus, the $300 million. Heather, quickly, how is the mayor planning to use that money? Well, $31 million will be used to plug the budget gap. And the bulk of it, by statute, has to go to CPS. So this is really what the city and the school district is counting on for those um, pay raises that have been offered to teacher, which average about 16%. I think there's a larger issue, a larger discussion to be had about how Mayor Lightfoot will use TIFFs throughout her administration. I don't think we really got a sense of that in this budget. There weren't wholesale changes to the way the city uses TIFFs, as, as best I can tell. But what I think is interesting is that so much of the debate from the teachers union has been like, well, why don't we just take that $1.3 billion that we gave to Lincoln, Lincoln Yards, Yards yeah. and why don't we give that to the teachers? It's like future money. Yeah, it's not like money sitting in a bank account somewhere that Mayor Lightfoot could write a check to Chicago Teachers Union to, to cash because that money only will come into the city and then go back to Sterling Bay, the developer, once those roads get built and those streetlights get you know turned on and people start buying that property and, and buying things at those stores. So it's it's a really hard discussion to have about TIFFs, and it's sort of become this boogeyman for just badly done financial policy, but there's no pot of gold at the end of the TIFF rainbow, as I like to say. Well, Budget Committee Chair Alderman Pat Dowell of the Third Ward will lead 10 days of budget hearings. Uh, oh, that God. starts on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, John... This is one of those days when radio just doesn't serve us because the face you just made. <laughs> What's going to happen in those uh, meetings? You, you haven't lived. Uh, Claudia and I were just discussing the fact that like these are just long days, and a lot of them are very dry, long days. And, and each department comes up, every single department. They send their commissioner up there, and they – and the aldermen open their budget books and say, what's this? What, what, what's this new salary, this $78,000 salary? Uh, t- talk to me about that. And th- this is an opportunity for aldermen. They, they, they hammer on minority and women business contracting and year after year. And pre- hiring as hiring, well. Hiring, minority and women hiring. This is their opportunity to really, you know, we'll, we'll put a brick on your budget if you don't bring in more people of color and more women to get – these jobs. We were sick of seeing old Irish guys get all the money. You know what I mean? And so it's a, it's a lot of that. There'll be some, the, the police always is a, is a big deal. And they, you know, they, they hammer on the cops about stuff, but um, you know, the, the big thing that we love is they, they cater in these lunches from each ward and, and it's a, like a fight between the aldermen who can cater in the best lunch from a bragging restaurant. Rights yeah. Bragging rights state. in their ward. That's it for today's Reset. Watch your feed for a Sunday Reset. We'll bring you a conversation with poet Saeed Jones. You won't want to miss us talking about his new memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives. Until then, I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon.